Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and Alex. We didn't really know what to talk about today, but we figured it out. Yeah, this is like the deadest of dead news cycles for the Knicks right now. But some fun, exciting news came out about Cam Reddish back working out again. So we're going to talk about Cam and just kind of speculate a little bit on what his role could be next year. Also, we'll talk a little bit about a two-part article that came out from Fred Katz and John Hollinger at The Athletic this week. Talk about Julius Randle and whether Hollinger's speculation that he would cost something to move off of is worth noting, or if we disagree with that. And talk about Mitchell Robinson and and what his role could potentially be with the Knicks next year, or if he'll even be on the Knicks next year because of fit concerns. So we'll get to all that next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and we want to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day. We're now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. Super excited covering uh, all of the New York State lacrosse playoffs uh, on the Varsity Media Sports Network and the NFHS Network. I'm actually doing, Alex, I'm doing girls high school flag football for the first time ever. I just started the sport on Long Island, sponsored by the New York Jets and Nike. So that's going to be pretty fun. Uh, But we're not here to talk about that. He is Alex Wolf, (laughs) editor-in-chief of The Strickland. You can check them out on social media at thestrick.land, the greatest Knicks website out there. A whole lot of great draft coverage on The Strickland this week and all the following weeks, taking you through the lottery and, of course, through the draft itself. So certainly stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for all the Knicks conversation on there. And, Alex, we we just said it. We, we initially we didn't really know where to start off today, but uh, we were talking about it. And, and there was the news that Cam Reddish, after the shoulder injury suffered against the Los Angeles Clippers back in March, uh, he right when he was starting to hit his stride, uh, he is back. He is practicing along with a whole bunch of other young Knicks. And we thought it would be a good opportunity to talk about Cam Reddish because we we weirdly, we we like barely touched on him when we were talking about the wings. Obviously, we're not going to talk about him with the bigs. He's sort of the lost man on the Knicks right now, but the potential for them to add another wing in the draft. Where are you at right now on Cam Reddish? He's also the guy that we've been called out like in our YouTube comments for forgetting recently yeah yeah literally forgetting (laughs) we forgot him in our in our like redraft uh show that we did last week uh oops it's just it's so easy to forget because he barely played for the team and then got hurt um but yeah the the quote came out of uh an article from our good buddy mark berman cam has been in the gym very consistent very determined one source close to reddish said so that's great to hear um not too much more to work with other than that but yeah it he is sort of like the forgotten man and the 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 biggest enigma on this team. Um, I I don't really know what to do with him right now. You know, I I find myself thinking like, is he gonna just be a sweetener in some trade? Like in the in the article we're gonna get into in a minute, uh, John Hollinger and Fred Katz were kind of going back and forth with the Athletic, and Hollinger seemed to imply that he thought that Cam, some combo of Cam, a pick, quote unquote. I don't know if that means a second round pick or first round pick. 
a pick of some sort and like a sign and trade Mitchell Robinson might be the package that ends up going out for Jalen Brunson to which I was like, that seems really steep considering the Knicks just paid a first for Cam Reddish and haven't really gotten anything for him. But like, I feel like that sort of puts some pressure on the team. You know, there's, there's a few factors at play, right? With Cam where it's his contract is up after next year, his rookie deal. So the Knicks have restricted free agent rights on him. I don't think that they will exercise the right to to extend him unless he's willing to come back for like a handful of million dollars, which he definitely won't because he definitely he and his agent definitely view him as a better player than that. Um, so, you know, he's almost definitely going to hit restricted free agency this time next year. And then you also have to consider like that should, in theory, put pressure on the Knicks to play him. But that should have also put pressure on them to have Tibbs play him this year. And, and Tibbs didn't play him until he absolutely had like no other options thanks to injuries and stuff. So, you know, it, there's a lot to wonder about with him. Like for one, what's he capable of, but for two, is he even going to get a chance to prove it? Because I, I think he's pretty well buried at this point on a fully healthy Knicks rotation sheet. Like he's at, as far as guys that play, let's say that he even plays the two to four range, which he did get a little bit of like quote unquote, small ball four minutes. You know, if the Knicks even just basically hold status quo, He's got Evan Fournier, Alec Burks, R.J. Barrett. I would say definitely Quentin Grimes ahead of him on the rotation sheet there. Then at the four, Obi Toppin and Julius Randle are ahead of him. So it's like the Knicks are too deep at every position that he figures to potentially vie for playing time at. And it, it leads you to think, like, is are the Knicks going to make that roster crunch this summer to free up playing time for him and try to get something out of this first round pick investment that they made into him? Cause like you could say, Oh, it was a late first round pick. And that is true. But no matter what, I mean, these, these Knicks have done a good job with late first round picks. So that is a valuable asset. That could be the next Quentin Grimes or Emmanuel quickly. Um, and you get significantly less flexibility with reddish. So I hope that they're, they're willing to give him some playing time sooner than later, because I can't, I can't see a world where, you know, that investment feels worth it if they do the same thing that they did with him this year and basically just leave him buried on the depth chart and don't try to figure out what this like mystery box of a player who's like got the prototypical wing size to him, has the wing skill set that needs a lot of refinement. You know, I, I feel like they're doing themselves a disservice if they don't find a way to free up playing time for him this offseason. Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's the classic example of of a guy where you have to ask yourself, are we too high on him just because he's on your own team, right? And and you you look back to to past Knicks teams, like we've spent hours on this podcast talking up an Alonzo Trier, a Kevin Knox. Um, I mean, Knox's case ends up on a Hawks team outside of uh, one scintillating four-minute stretch in a, in a 40-point playoff blowout. Uh, he clearly is, is not an NBA rotation player at this point. Alonzo Trier out of the league. Then you look at uh, New York's favorite son, Frank Nilakina, and in a different context, turns out highly, highly useful guy in, in a playoff series. I, I saw a stat today. Maybe maybe it wasn't true, but it was from StatMute, so I assume it is, that uh, in possessions where he's guarded Devin Booker and Chris Paul, they're combined three for 40. Uh, that was a fake stat. That's a fake stat. I, I'm unfor- unfortunately, yeah. I think the actual stat is like three for seven, though, which is still not too bad. A little, yeah, three for 40. A little yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, 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 that was a little ambitious. Okay, okay, so maybe Frank is not gary payton reincarnate but the point is useful player in another context on another team is cam reddish that guy where if he actually or the knicks sort of are the other team from the hawks right 
if he gets the right role, if he gets the right time, if he actually gets the build up his confidence, if he gets consistent minutes, can he be a positive starter? Or is he just a guy that he has these brilliant flashes and you talk yourself into him, but whether because of his mentality or, or just a lack of coherence to his game where there will always be flashes, but the coherent product doesn't quite add up to it. And unfortunately, I, I think that's, that's what the NBA is, right? It's where insanely talented basketball players go to die because everyone is insanely talented and the people who just have their games a little bit more figured out and, and even guys who are a little bit less talented, sometimes that I, I, maybe I'm rambling here, but I think that almost plays into guys' advantage because they know who they are. Someone like Reggie Bullock, he's never had to worry. Oh, wait, am I a superstar? He, he's known his entire career. I shoot threes and I play great defense and, and that's it. In Frank Milikina's case, he, he knows I play great defense and maybe that's it. But, but there are roles for guys like that. Cam can dip a toe in so many different areas, like right, like intercepting passes. Like he, he's a he's a playmaker on offense, both in his ability to get to the rim and pass the ball. He can also shoot the ball, but that's almost a curse in a way because if you're not great at any one of those things, or if you're not consistently solid enough at all of them to just fit in as a really good role player, or if you have flashes of being great at some of them, but you aspire to be a star, you never really know who you are. And and I'm wondering if that will be the tragedy of Cam Reddish. And I, I'm. I'm kind of leaning. No, I'm leaning that this guy's a dude. He's someone I want to bet on because as I've said a million times when we've talked about him, I really think he plays the right way and and generally like makes good decisions with a couple of bad boneheaded threes put in, which was not really his reputation when he came to New York. Um, And he was figuring it out those two games. And I know it's such a small sample size, but it's, it's sort of the same thing as Obi Toppin, right? Alex, where when Obi finally got consistent minutes, he just looked like a different dude in terms of his confidence and, and, and figuring out what he was doing on the court. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like, I think I, you know, he is much more Obi Toppin than he is to use your other example, Kevin Knox. Like, I don't, I don't get the feeling that we're talking ourselves in the cam reddish. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I think that there is like a real case that he is. I don't know about a, a star in the making or something, but he he is at least a a very useful role player, a guy that you can have out there that can shoot threes, that can generate pull up opportunities, that can get to the rim. You know, maybe maybe he winds up like a Harrison Barnes type at some point in his career. You know, a guy that if he figures it out offensively can put up. You know. 16 to 18 points per game or something like that. I could very realistically see that. I could also see him flaming out, but the Knicks owe it to themselves to, to try, you know, I think, because I just think that the, the pedigree is there. I mean, he was a guy that competed with, you know, Zion and RJ for, well, more so RJ. I mean, actually Zion was never really considered the top guy in that class until they hit Duke. Like in high school, he and RJ were like one, two in the high school rankings. Like, almost all the time as far as that high school class goes in 2019. Like there, there's something there with him. You know, I, I don't think that sort of talent just melts away, you know, or especially in the case of a, a wing like him that clearly shows the gifts he does, but he's going to need to be guided the right way. So hopefully some time spent with Johnny Bryant, as far as decision-making and, and how he approaches the game, you know, and, and how he approaches like generating shots for himself and, more importantly, others, you know, like learning when to pass out a certain situation, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I definitely think, like you said, he's he's a guy worth investing in. I, I don't think the Knicks were foolish for giving up the first round pick for him, but we are reaching a point where if they they don't play him enough, you know, this year, it's going to be 
it's going to be foolish of them to have spent that pick because you, if you're going to give up that sort of an asset, you know, in a first round pick that probably wouldn't have conveyed this year and would have, you know, got actually, no, definitely wouldn't have conveyed this year and would have gotten pushed to next year regardless. So you could have had another 2023 first round pick to dangle out there and trades and stuff. Like if you're going to make an investment like that, you gotta, you gotta make sure you see what you got out of that guy. So I, I hope, you know, maybe it's in, in the case, which we'll talk about in a second here. Uh, you know, it, maybe it's the case of, of trading some of the guys along with like a Julius Randle or something, or even just trading like an Alec Burks as part of a Brunson deal or something like that to free up the time for him. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's just marginalizing guys like Burks or cutting the minutes of like an Evan Fournier. But I, I think you got to make room for Cam Reddish along with Quentin Grimes and all the other young guys on the team. Uh, but if, if you want to make some room in your diet for something delicious that isn't that bad for you, and Nailed it. Was not my strongest segue, whatever. Good. This episode is brought to you apart by Bill Barr. <laughs> and, uh, Imagine, uh, uh, here, I'll paint a better picture. Imagine dipping your finger into the plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing those actually only 150 calories and had a whopping 16 grams of protein attached. That is what it is like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built. I just received them. Again, I'm showing these off on YouTube right now. I got some Built uh, birthday cake puffs right here. And I've never had anything like these before I had one after lunch today they're available right now and i can't promise they'll always be there tomorrow so go get them today at built.com if you haven't tried puffs i'll let you in on a little secret uh they're a chocolate covered marshmallow protein bar that's correct a chocolate covered marshmallow protein bar in the case of built these uh birthday built puffs it's like making every day your birthday because they've taken the delicious experience of biting into a fresh slice of birthday cake and robed it in 100 white chocolate and added sprinkles and with 150 calories 16 grams of protein and only nine grams of sugar this limited time flavor is an amazing option if you're looking for a healthy way to get great flavor and variety in your day without sacrificing your diet you know and and also helping yourself out after a workout that big blast of protein so go to built.com to get birthday cake puffs now and again go to built.com use promo code locked 15 and you can get 15 percent off your order Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. All right, Gavin. So we we sort of alluded to this already, but uh, one thing that came up uh, in the uh, – John Hollinger and, and Fred Katz did like a, a little combo article on The Athletic. And uh, he, <laughs> I said before the show, he's not our coworker anymore. So uh, I can now say that I think that – this take by John Hollinger makes him a total bum and a hack, but he basically implied that he he thinks that uh, that Julius Randle is not going to be able to be traded without attaching assets to him by the Knicks. And I don't know if I agree on that quite yet. Uh, I don't see a world where Randle is any worse than like a, a a net neutral right now, you know. So maybe you're not getting back like a. a I don't even want to say star package. Maybe you're not getting back like a overwhelmingly positive package for him of like multiple first round picks, whatever. If you like, if you would have traded him after his all NBA season last year, but I think you definitely could still net something positive for him, or at least come out just being like, here, give us expiring salary or whatever, or take Julius Randall into your cap space. You know, like, are you telling me that like Detroit 
the Neverland stars ever if you called them up or just like, hey, Julius Randle for a top 55 protected second round pick, what do you say? Would say like, no, I just, I don't buy that considering that's the team that spent like a gajillion dollars on 20 centers like two years ago. Um, so, you know, I, I disagree with Hollinger's assessment, but I'm curious what you think about that. Do you think Randall has reached a point already, even as a 2010 and five guy still this year that, you know, despite the the decrease in efficiency and the, the attitude concerns or whatever, where he's now a negative or are you kind of more with me where it, it seems like he's still at least an, a neutral in, in a future trade transaction? Now, as always, Alex, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think um, we got to get back to disagreeing more. We agree too much. Yeah, no, we're really, really, really locked in these days. Uh, yeah, we've been <laughs> potting for too long. Um, but no, I'm, I'm, I, I do agree with you. And I think it feels weird because it almost feels disingenuous in some ways to say that, right? Because we, we spent this whole year bagging on Julius Randle saying, Julius has got to go. I don't care if you have to give him a pick. We got to get rid of this guy. He, he's toxic. He's inefficient. He bogs down the offense. And outside of the toxic part, which I don't want to comment on. Um, All those things are true to some extent, but it's context dependent, right? And on a different team in a different situation, he can be a really useful player because the highs are really high. Like the dude made second team all NBA and it wasn't like some BS, like, oh, like he's a Nick. It's a great story. Like, no, he earned second team all NBA. He was, he was the best player on on the four seed in, in the Eastern conference. Like he, he absolutely deserved that mark. And he absolutely has fantastic qualities as a player. And when he leans into them, things look really, really good. The issue is um, with the way the Knicks have empowered him and and with the way that, I mean, Tibbs has basically set a precedent at this point that there are rules for Randall and then there are rules for basically everyone else on the team. This situation is dissolved where I don't think it works on the Knicks anymore. And I think he's a counterproductive player on the Knicks. I think he might be a counterproductive player on 20 other teams in the NBA, but that still leaves nine teams that I think would be interested in him. And and to your point, not willing to give up a superstar, not willing to give a great young asset, probably not at this point willing or, or, or they shouldn't give up a first round pick for Julius Randle. But the idea that you have to attach equity to him, I mean, you use Detroit as an example. Um, I mean, there's like, a team, I, I'm not going to say the Kings because they have DeMontis Sabonis, but maybe Orlando is another one. Indiana is another team that I can think of that they can use this guy just because you look at this class of free agents and there just aren't a lot of guys with Randall's raw talent. And, and sure, you're rolling the dice if you're one of those teams, but you're telling me like Randall is like a pick and roll guy playing off of Cade Cunningham wouldn't at least be interesting or he wouldn't be invigorated playing with a passer and shooter like Tyrese Halliburton. I, I just think pairing, like, like we always talk about how Randall is a bad fit for the rest of the Knicks, but the rest of the Knicks are also a pretty bad fit with Randall. Like RJ as the other ball dominant guy, someone who, I mean, as much as we want him to be, just isn't a great three point shooter yet. I'm not even sure if he's a good three point shooter yet. Not really a good mid range shooter yet. Just not an efficient player overall. You want someone who just draws a lot of attention and can still be efficient next to Julius Randle. That's not RJ at this point. Mitchell Robinson is really to get to maybe the most paint bound center as Fred Katz notes in the article in the NBA. That is the worst center that you could want with Julius Randle. Um, so a team like Indiana that is Miles Turner that can space the floor, that turns Julius Randle into a totally different player. And I think Hollinger, at least in this article, is looking at it 
specifically in how Randall did on the Knicks, but I think you can be a little bit more imaginative and other front offices are and say, all right, he didn't look good there, but we see what this guy could be. And in another system, in our system, he could be something better than that. And we're willing to give up, even if it's just a small asset or to your point, if it's just a neutral trade where you're just kind of getting off equal money and the Knicks have someone they like a little bit more than Randall that could fit a little bit better. Um, that's the kind of trade you can do. But I don't see a world where the Knicks are giving a first round pick with Julius Randall to ship him to Detroit or Indiana or Orlando. Yeah, it, it was kind of funny, too, because Hollinger also said in the article that he could see a world where Julius's contract is like the building block for that trade for that next star, you know, and I guess sort of like he alluded to a Paul George type situation, which I guess would then imply that I guess Randall is the Gallinari in that situation or something, which maybe isn't that bad of a comp for him at this point in in his career you know maybe that's what he ends up being where I mean Gallinari was never an all-star and never an all-nba player but maybe you know Randall's sort of evening out range you know on a good team kind of puts him in that like Gallinari role when Gallinari was at his best um and if that's the case like then yeah again it's like I don't I don't understand where he's getting it from that the Knicks would have to pay to get off this contract if I mean, it harms you if the big salary piece in your star trade is a, is a negative value. So, you know, like if if he was going to say, you know, the Knicks are in, in play for a star, you know, and they need salary, you would think it would be more likely that you would be like, oh, yeah, Evan Fournier and Alec Burks, two guys that definitely like play to their contracts are would be the better building blocks than a Julius Randle than if Julius is, in fact, a negative value. Uh, but I, I just don't think that's the case. So, you know, I think he's kind of talking out both sides of his mouth in this article. But um, all in all, you know, I'm I'm with you and and I'm <laughs> you and I are lockstep again. You know, on on this particular issue, I I don't see a world where if the Knicks decide Julius Randle needs to be off this team at all costs, that they can't find some team that would bite and just do it for basically nothing, or even like a fistful of second round picks and some expiring salary or something like I just I I don't think his value could have possibly tanked that low this year yep I'm I'm with you 100 percent. but if you want to bet on Julius Randle's next team or someone else's next team we'll talk about that in just a sec there's a place to do it it's bet online our partners at bet online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info you can find all the latest odds news and sports developments including this year's basketball playoffs major league baseball scores fights and even next season's NFL futures BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. And Alex, with our good friends over in Philadelphia, officially eliminated from the playoffs. They have odds up on will Doc Rivers be the coach for the Sixers next season? And will James Harden play for the Sixers next season? It is minus 300 that he will, plus 200 that he will not. Um, I know the odds are obviously in favor of him coming back. I would still put heavy money down on him coming back. I don't see a world where he denies that player option because there's not another team in the league crazy enough to offer him the same deal. Maybe there'll be some speculation because of Embiid's comments and and just the the urgency to go and win there. Um, I don't see him opting out. I bet he is a sixer to start next season. So I would go to betonline.net and throw some money down on net on that and head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts and we are back. Alex and we are talking uh, one of our one of our favorite sons here on the New York Knicks, of <laughs> course Mitchell Robinson. Look at him the wrong way; he will call you the bus driver. Um, but hopefully, he is not driving out of town. Um, there's there's still at least uh, at least on my end um, some desire for him to remain a New York Knick. 
And I thought an interesting point uh, made in this article that was on The Athletic. Again, shout out to Fred Katz, who does a great job, um, where they were discussing his future on the Knicks with John Hollinger. And John Hollinger was saying, like, look, at this point, you really you don't want to lose him for nothing, right? Like the Knicks kind of passed up on the opportunity to trade him at the deadline. So maybe the move is to just bring him back. And if you don't like the fit, then in a year or two down the road, you try and turn him into an asset. Um, and Fred Katz, I think, was generally agreeing, but also made the point, and this isn't something that I think maybe we don't talk about quite enough, that Mitch really is like the most paint-centric center in basketball. And assuming you do keep Julius Randle and you do keep R.J. Barrett, do you think it's untenable to have all three of those guys on the same team long-term just because of the way their offensive games kind of clash against each other? Yeah, I, I think there's maybe a case to be made, although I think Mitch is like – game in the paint is so strong that, you know, I mean, they also noted in the article, and I mean, we've talked about this before, like if he had hit like the, the attempts margin or whatever this year, Mitch would have reset the, the field goal percentage record again this year. He shot like 76.1% overall again this year after already shooting over 70% another year in his career. Like I, I think that he's such a good paint finisher that you can get away with it. Sort of that said, I mean, I still think that it comes down more to an R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle thing than a Mitchell Robinson thing, right? Like, and I just don't, I don't really see the Knicks sticking with Julius long term now. You know, I, I think that they've they've done so much lip service now after the season to committing to the youth and everything else. Like, I feel like Julius's days have to be numbered. Um, whether that's again to go to dip back into our last segment, whether they're gonna essentially just say we don't care if we get net zero for Julius, we're just going to jet him now and be done with it. Or whether they say like, no, let's talk to him, tell him our desire to get him on a new team, but reiterate that he has to play better if he wants to get moved. And then we'll do it by the deadline. Either way. I, I, I don't think that there's a world where he's going to be on the Knicks long-term based off how things went this year and how he seemed to be looking. So I don't know if you have to really factor that in with Mitch, but the other good point, and this is something that Fred brought up in the article, is that maybe with Mitch you just pay him now and figure out the situation later because I don't I don't think that he's going to get such a robust contract offer that he, it's going to make you say like, oh, no, like we can't we can't do that, you know, this, this summer. I don't think anyone's going to be lining up to give him any more than say, and look, say what you will about whether he's as good or not as this player, but I don't think that anyone is going to be lining up and giving him more than like what Robert Williams got from the Celtics, um, which is again, like four years, roughly like 56, $57 million, something like that. Um, so, you know, I, if that's what it takes to keep him, then I'm going to keep him around because I, I don't think that his contract will ever be untradeable. Like players like him, that can block shots that can rebound like he does. I mean, I don't think we talk in it. Well, at least after the season, we have not talked enough about just how dominant of a rebounder this, he was, especially down the stretch of this season. Um, you know, the guys that do what he does don't grow on trees. And there are other teams around the NBA that would realize that. And there's always, I feel like there's always that one team per year that it hits trade deadline time and they realize, crap, we need a big. You know, and they're willing to give up maybe not a ton, but at least something to get a big on their team. And so I think if the Knicks can position themselves in that way, 
and also give themselves another year to sort of develop Jericho Sims a little more, um, give themselves another year to maybe, I, I don't know, find another center that they want to give a shot. You know, maybe they, they go out and sign, you know, on the somewhat cheap, like a Mo Bamba or something like that. Try to have like another guy that maybe develops into a Mitch with shooting and which then makes Mitch expendable. You know, I don't know. There's, there's options out there, but I, I think it would, probably be in their best interest rather than letting Mitch just walk, you know, over some money to re-sign him and potentially, you know, deal with the consequences later. Like if they re-sign him this offseason, they can trade him as soon as December 15th of this year. So it's not like they have to be in it for the long haul, even if they give him the money. Um, you know, and and as we've seen in the NBA, like the NBA is a revolving door and it is a business. And, you know, sometimes you say you commit to somebody and you do, and then other times you end up like the Clippers and Blake Griffin, and you know you sign him and tell him he's gonna, you know, put his face on the jumbotron and show him like a future retired number of his in the building and whatever, and then trade him by that coming trade deadline. You know, so it's the, there's a lot of different ways things can go in the NBA, but you know, I I think that the Knicks should not be looking at things in terms of like does Mitchell Robinson fit with R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle because I think if anyone's gonna be Outside of that picture sooner than later, it's probably going to be Julius Randle. And, and I don't know if it's really worth making any decisions with the mind of like, well, how would they fit in this next half season or even full season before the Knicks trade Julius Randle? Because I don't think that matters. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't be looking at Julius Randle. As, as crazy as it is to say this, one year removed from the second team All-NBA, you should not be looking at Julius Randle as the franchise piece anymore. Um, and like a guy that you want to have long-term because I just, I don't think he's going to be here long-term. Yeah. I'm in total agreement with you. I, I mean, that that's, that's like the, the linchpin of my argument as well is I'm really intrigued to see what a OB Toppin Mitchell Robinson front line looks like. And I think OB can unlock a lot of Mitch's game that in a way that Julius can't, I mean, we all heard the Donovan Mitchell to Rudy Gobert stat. And then someone came out and said like, Julius to Mitch in terms of passes per game where Julius passes to him maybe like once per game is, is essentially the same and just as bad. And I mean, you can count on a million hands the number of times this year that Julius has looked Mitch off while Obi conversely is just such an intuitive playmaker and playing as, as the number one power forward and playing big minutes. I think he'll get a lot more opportunities um, in the pick and roll over the course of the season. And we'll see who he is as a short roll passer. And my my educated guess on that would be that he's really, really good because we've seen in different contexts that he's a really talented and really willing passer. And his newfound ability to shoot as well, I think will stretch out defense a little bit more, keep things a little bit less clogged. And just the idea of him um, like just beating a closeout and throwing a lob to Mitchell Robinson or catching on the roll and throwing a lob to Mitchell Robinson or those two guys crashing the offensive glass as, as two of just flat out the best and most athletic leapers in the NBA. I, I just want to see it over the course of the season. And I also think Obi's attentiveness on defense makes Mitch's life a lot easier because Mitch had to do so much work this year, cleaning stuff up when Julius just fell asleep over and over and over again. And granted there are, there are contexts or situations where Julius is certainly a better defender than Obi Toppin. And there are nights where Obi Toppin's going to get beat a lot off the dribble, but I think even on that end of the floor, he could help Mitchell Robinson, not to mention Emmanuel quickly playing full-time at point guard. And instead of the cascade of guys who either couldn't shoot or, or like Kemba Walker were left just rotting in the corner Quickly's creativity, his ability to stretch the floor, his ability to, and just willingness to throw lobs to Mitch. I think all that stuff adds up 
to a more productive guy on both ends of the court and suggests to me, similar to Julius Randle, I mean, if you give up on Mitch, obviously you, you can't, unless it's a sign and trade, you can't get any value for him if he signs with a different team. But even relative to midseason this year, and maybe this was part of the Knicks thinking, I think his value um, half a year from now, assuming he doesn't get hurt, will be higher than it's ever been. And even if you don't see him as a long-term piece at center, you want to keep him just to pump that value up. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I mean, I think once again, right, this is like the lockstep hour with Alex and Gavin. Yeah, we're good. Right. Uh, so I, I think we could probably end on that note. I mean, for a show about nothing, we did pretty good. We just filled the Seinfeld block uh, with a show there about nothing here. <laughs> but for those of you listening, thanks so much for doing so. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with a, a fun episode to to uh, lead into the the draft lottery, where we're going to talk about the Locked On Network's first mock draft. We did a tankathon simulation. Spoiler alert: the Knicks did not win it. Uh, so <laughs> our only hope now is that they win the real lottery before mock draft 2.0 with the network. Uh, but we we did a mock draft and and we walked away with a player that we felt pretty good about. So. We'll get into that. We'll get into some of the other picks that happened in that mock draft, whether they surprised us, whether they didn't. And then we'll actually play out. Uh, there's there's like little clips of each of the teams making their selections and giving rationale. So we'll end the show with that. So that'll be your show on Monday. Uh, but until then, thanks so much for listening. And we'll have plenty for you guys next week with that draft lottery coming in. Finally, something to talk about after, after a few weeks of nothing. So uh, we'll be back next week. But enjoy your weekends, guys. Talk to you all soon. Peace out.